And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard the Athletics Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait. Hey everyone, thanks for watching or listening, whatever you're doing. Tim McMaster along with Connor Hughes and Marissa Morris. It is Thanksgiving week. Black Friday is coming up on Friday, followed by Cyber Monday. And so we have a deal for you at The Athletic. $1 a month for 12 months. So an annual subscription paying just $1 a month. Go to theathletic.com slash can't wait before midnight on Monday the 29th. That's when the deal runs out. It's the best deal of the year you'll get on The Athletic. Um, all Connor's great writing, all the other people that write for The Athletic, every sport, all the great writing at the national level, the local level, all for $1 a month. Crazy deal. Connor is so excited about the deal that he got a haircut this morning, and that's why we're running late. That, and I was also looking just dreadful. I mean, it was like getting poofy on the sides and the top, everything like that. So it was it was... Yes, I was very excited. That's why I got a haircut to celebrate. But I also needed to get back to looking like I normally look in, in real life and not how I was looking because it was getting it was getting ugly. It was getting rough. Not going to lie. Honor, right in time for the holidays. Nicely done. All right. Lots <laughs> to get to on the show. Uh, the quarterback situation, which is up in the air. We'll talk about the young players playing well on Sunday. That was the uh, silver lining in, in another loss for this Jets team. And we'll look ahead to. The draft, because we've we've reached that point as we go into week 11, never too early to look into the draft. But let's start with the quarterback position, Connor, because the idea was, well, Joe Flacco is only going to have to start one game and then it's going to be Zach Wilson. But now not so fast, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that, look, I we were we were under the impression, obviously. Um, sorry, I had to tweet. Um, we were under the impression last week and, and everything, every message that I had gotten seemed to indicate that the plan was for Zach Wilson to return against the Miami Dolphins was that that's what they wanted was they wanted Zach to be out there against Miami. They wanted to to make sure he was okay. And they were going to ride Mike White until Mike White crashed and burned. Mike White crashed and burns. So they were going back to him. You know, the Jets had hopes and, and some optimism that there was actually a chance Zach could return against the Buffalo Bills. Obviously, that was probably a little bit far-fetched, but they knew at least he would be able to practice. So theoretically, he practices the week of the Buffalo game, then he practices the week of the Miami game, and then he starts against the Dolphins. Um, the Jets obviously chose not to go that route, even though Zach was, he probably could have played physically, but they don't want to trot him out there 50% or 60% or 70%. They want him to be 100%. And that now does bring somewhat into question what he's going to do this week against Houston. And what I mean by that is just, look, I, I think in my heart of hearts that Zach's going to play. I think the Jets are going to start Zach. I mean, I can't imagine an easier. I, I know the Texans have won, what is it, two straight games now and, and just beat up the Titans and picked off Tannehill four times, but they are still the Houston Texans. They are still not a great football team. So um, I can't imagine a better landing spot for a guy that hasn't played a month than Houston, you know, because they've got some tough games coming up where the Eagles defense is suddenly playing pretty good football. You know, they've got um, other game, another game against the Bill. I mean, it, it's what did not, you say about not, the Eagles there, Connor? Oh, said their defense is playing pretty good. I, I swear to God, I, I I deal with this too with Elliot, like Elliot Shore Parks. <laughs> like he's sitting there. I mean, they, the people are like crowning. The Philadelphia Eagles. They have not beaten a No, soul. I just want you to They have not that beaten anybody. They just beat Trevor Simeon, who almost came back, and suddenly I, I'm reading columns from mm -hmm. Mike Kay about them being – they're going to go to the playoffs, and they're going to be they're, – they're a contender. No they one are. wants to see the Philadelphia Eagles. No one wants to see the Philadelphia Eagles. Who have they beaten? Connor, that Philadelphia team hasn't beaten a soul. I just want every all of our listeners to go back to our Can't We Picks in last episode and Connor basically <laughs> destroying me for picking the Eagles. I go like, down in the boats and the Eagles stink. Like, blah, 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 not like, football like making fun of the pick and then the Eagles win by 11. So 
Okay, continue. They're I just had to point that out. Uh, you were you sweat? Uh, you were you were watching uh, the Browns, I think, weren't they? A one o'clock game too, so you probably weren't yes. sweating it out. But but my boy no. Trevor Simeon almost let a backdoor cover heavy on that mm. game at that three and a half <laughs> spread or whatever it was. I mean, he was roaring back to come. To come, um, come and Terrence to in the it. chat says, "I take Connor's picks and then bet the opposite." So yeah. Yeah. Somebody said, by the way, all of us stunk last weekend, one and two across the yeah. board. But yeah, that's the right. only pick I'm talking about. But <laughs> <laughs> all right, continue, uh, Connor. I'm sorry to interrupt. That's fine. Um, but obviously, like I said, that that Dolphin game was the one where I thought he was going to be back. I thought he was going to play, and and it became clear, you know, all right, you're not. Now it's the Houston one. But listening to Robert talk on the conference call Monday, and 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 based off of that. I don't know, man. I mean, I, th- I think that this is one where the Jets genuinely are are being truthful and honest when they say they want this kid to be a hundred percent before he takes the field again. They don't want to trot him out there at ninety five percent. They don't want him to be ninety percent. They don't want him to be eighty five percent. They don't want him to be eighty percent. They want Zach Wilson to be one hundred percent healthy, completely healthy before he steps foot on that field again. And if he has like he's got another couple hurdles that he needs to clear today, and he has another couple hurdles he needs to clear on Wednesday before the Jets make their determination on the starting quarterback and. Sal is going to announce that at the press conference, but there is that chance that if he doesn't clear those hurdles, if there's still holdup, if he still doesn't feel entirely right with that knee, the Jets aren't going to start him. This isn't a situation where they're just going to throw him out there again. They're not going to play him just to play him. They're going to wait until this kid is fully healthy before they put him on the field. I thought that was going to be the Dolphins. Clearly, Zach wasn't ready yet. That's fine. It was a two to four week injury. Now you're going to the Houston one. I think that's going to be the Texans, but I, again, and I think it should be the Texans because I can't imagine an easier landing spot for him the rest of this season. So if it's not this one, I don't know when exactly it's going to be, maybe another week or so, whatever it's, however long it's going to take. But at least now it seems pretty clear that the Jets are, it's it's whenever this kid's healthy. And there's no guarantee that he's playing on Sunday. I mean, that that's still up in the air. It's crazy because you always hear like nobody's 100% in the NFL right after the first day of training camp. But it seems like they really, I mean, you hear 100% and it's like, you know, it is what it is. There's still going to be bumps and bruises. It sounds like they really want him to be like like off-season healthy before he comes back. We'll see. Seriously. Um, with, go ahead. Yeah, and, and then obviously it's going to come down to like who plays quarterback. I, I, my opinion, they'll stick with Flacco. I, I think the Jets were under the, the, I think the Jets are under the realization that um, Mike White's not very good. And I think that they were surprised and taken aback a little bit by his play against the Cincinnati Bengals and then his play to start the Colts games. So they were like, you know what? Maybe this guy's just a gamer. Maybe somebody doesn't necessarily practice all that well and he just goes out on the field and he plays on Sunday. So they were going to stick with him until, like we've said multiple times, he did something to dictate his removal from the lineup. And, and he did that against the Bills. The Jets went to Joe Flacco. And look, Flacco played exactly how you expected Joe Flacco to play. He looked like a veteran quarterback. He got rid of the ball. He got the ball into the hands of the playmakers. You saw Elijah Moore take off, Mike Carter take off, Corey Davis had a decent game. All these players played pretty decent because you had a veteran quarterback there who knew where the ball was supposed to go and got the, and got the ball to the playmakers. I mean, he played not great, not elite, but like a veteran backup quarterback, which is what Joe Flacco is at this point in his career. So if it's not Zach Wilson, I, I would be stunned if it's anyone other than Joe Flacco starting against the Houston Texans. But like I'm looking over the Jets schedule now, man, and I just if you don't start Zach here against Houston, like when are you bringing him back? You know, because he now hasn't played against the Bengals, hasn't played against the Colts, hasn't played against the Bills, hasn't played against the Dolphins. So he's past that four week line. You know what I mean? Like this, this isn't supposed to be a Makai Becton like recovery where the guys that, you know, it's a, a, a six to eight week injury and he's out, you know, like 24 weeks. Like, I mean, Makai's not, Makai's not practicing this week. Salah said like he's still and forget like playing like he's not even practicing and he's going to need like a week of practice before he even plays. So you're talking about Mc- Becton probably still being another two weeks away from even thinking about sniffing. the. Does field. that mean but he's gaining weight too, or just to, not to go off track too much, but, no, but I wanted fine. to talk about Becton eventually. So we might as well just throw it in here. I mean, is this a situation where he hasn't done anything for all this time and we should be concerned about the weight too? No, from my understanding, okay. that's not the case. I, I did okay. some digging on that. I did some, I did my homework on that. I, I don't, from my understanding, the weight is not a concern. Like Becton's weight is not at a number right now where the Jets are concerned about that. Right now, they're just worried about the injury and the structure the structure of the injury. And because he is not bigger than he's supposed to be, but because he is a very large man, it can be very easy for him to 
move the wrong way, 370 pounds is moving the wrong way with him. And then that knee, which just isn't fully structurally repaired enough, gets injured again. So the Jets are kind of concerned right now about re-injury thing. It's not a weight thing. When the Jets say conditioning and and get and getting back in football shape, they just mean getting the knee right, not Becton right. Like that, that's actually it should be a feather in his cap that Becton's actually done a pretty good job of keeping his weight in check, despite the fact he hasn't been able to run around and do too much of that kind of cardio to keep his weight down. So the Jets are fine with the weight that he's at right now. It's just about that knee and getting the knee right. And when you're a big man and you have a knee injury and foot injuries and things like that, I mean, there's there's obviously concerns that you're going to have, but they're just worried about the possibility that that could get that that could get worse. All right, let's talk about the the young players that you mentioned briefly there that Joe Flacco seemed to, to help have big days. Elijah Moore will start there because it was the breakout game that I think all Jets fans have been hoping for. I think they expected to see it in week one of the NFL season. Here it comes, though, in week 10. Eight catches, 141 yards, spectacular touchdown catch where he basically just it was a great move off the line, breaks free, and then the burst of speed. I mean, this is the guy that Connor, you saw over the summer, and nobody else really got to see other than the media that were at those practices. Um, and now everybody's finally kind of getting to see what this guy can do on the football field. Yeah, look, OTAs, rookie mini camp, uh, first couple weeks of training camp. I mean, Elijah Moore was the best player on the football field. I mean, I wasn't joking around when I said that. I mean, it was it was every single day he made plays. I mean, I saw it was actually kind of funny like that. Pla- the pass that he took all the way to the house there against the, um, the, the the Miami Dolphins game actually pretty much encompassed everything that we saw from from Elijah during camp because there was a play in OTAs where he caught a little slant from Zach Wilson and then outran the entire defense to the end zone for a touchdown. I remember saying like, look, that's a that's a slant touchdown. And, you know, OK, it's a touchdown. But like I, I couldn't put into words how impressive it was to watch him separate from the defense. And I know the Jets don't have like a ridiculously talented secondary. I know they're not the fastest defense in the world right now, but to watch him just pull away, that's special. We saw that in OTAs. Then you saw it against the Dolphins. The final catch that Elijah Moore made, I mean, the game was already decided. It was pretty much over. But the one where he was like, Flacco threw it to me. It was, it was, I think it was like a back shoulder. And he was like turning like this and turned and then threw his hands up and caught it as he was falling to the ground. That was one that we used to see him do in seven-on-sevens, one-on-one drills all the time when we would talk about how he just attacked the football with his hands. That when the ball was there, it was out, grab, in. And just the power and the strength of his hands to make catching the football look so easy was wildly impressive. And I think, honestly, man, like it's all starting to just come together for him. And and look, he, he's a rookie receiver. And sometimes rookie receivers take some time to develop. Not Not all of them come out like Justin Jefferson did. Not all of them come out like Odell Beckham did. I mean, it's sometimes it takes them time to get going. And then eventually when they get going, they become really, really dominant players. The Jets believe they have a superstar on their hands. They believe they have a star on their hands in Elijah Moore. It was just a matter of Elijah Moore getting up to speed and getting to that level of play. And I think you're starting to see him now with more reps, getting more comfortable outside. Because remember, he played almost exclusively in the slot in college. So getting used to that new position, getting used to the defensive backs that he's facing, getting used to playing with the sideline to your left, not space to your left, space to your right, like what slot receivers play with. I think you're starting to see him thrive. I think you're starting to see him take off. I think you're starting to see him have. I think you're starting to see the player, like you said, that that we saw in OTA's minicamp training camp. And the sky really is the limit for this guy. And and the one thing that I I just I can't wait to see, honestly. It's a little bit of like a, a forward-thinking, look-to-the-future type approach, but Jameson Crowder is not going to be back with the Jets next year. I mean, they're going to let him walk. He's going to free agency somewhere else. That's going to open up that slot position. What I'm fascinated to see is what the Jets decide to do with Elijah Moore. Have they seen enough this year where they're like, you know what, he's going to be our outside receiver. Corey Davis is going to be our outside receiver. We'll add another slot. Or do they want to take Elijah Moore and put him more? And he's still going to line up outside. I mean, the Jets are going to rotate the receivers everywhere, but... Or do they want to make him more of a primary slot receiver and then go and find another outside receiver and use that as your three-man rotation where you got Corey Davis, outside receiver, they'll probably acquire either in the draft or free agency, and then Elijah Moore in the slot. So um, I will say, look, I mean, this is, and I, I wrote this as the post-game column. I mean, I, I just, I, I know, like, it was funny. Like, some everyone's always ripped me for being negative and ripped me for, like, you know, trashing the team at times and stuff, but, like, I've kind of reached the point here where I don't see the need to continually be overly negative and just continually hamper this team and hammer this team because 
in honesty, like I think they've got a decent coaching staff. I think they've got a nice core nucleus of players. The issue is that everything that's surrounding that nucleus is not very good. You know, Mike McCagnon's uh, horrific run as general manager is is still impacting the Jets today. You know, it was never going to be a one or two offseason fix. Even if Joe Douglas hit every single pick perfectly, it was going to take more than that, plus basically pristine health, for this team to reach some level of, of legitimate competitiveness this year. So it was always going to take longer. So when you then take that into consideration with the fact the Jets have been hammered by injuries, I just don't know how you can trash the defense again for struggling at moments against Tua when they have a guy starting at safety who I found out was on the roster, basically, like, they started a guy. They activated from, like, the Eagles' practice squad. Like, it's it's just wild. Like, what were the players that are out there? Delshawn Phillips. I mean, Ashton Davis. You got Isaiah Dunn, a UDFA playing meaningful reps outside. Like, this is not a loaded team to begin with. And then they were ravaged by injuries. And now you've got guys out there where you're like, what are they doing? You know what I mean? Like, I, I just don't see how much more you can do with the players at Robert Sala, Jeff Ulbricks, and and uh, Mike LaFleur's disposal. Like, I don't know what else you can do with that grouping of players. So instead of hammering them for not winning games that I don't think they should win in the first place, look to the bright side. You know, the Jets made this decision to play the youth, right? They, they made this decision to go all in and, and, and don't sign the big ticket free agents. Don't sign the aging veterans. Get the youth in there. Let the youth get their scars and ride them because it's going to lead to a better tomorrow. And... You're starting to see that battle tactic, which was did not look like it was working and was tough to buy into the first five, six, seven weeks of the season. These last three, four, you're starting to see the signs and the method to the Jets' madness because Elijah Moore is breaking out. Elijah Vera Tucker is breaking out. Mike Carter, pre-injury, is breaking out. You're seeing players that the Jets believe are going to be part of this team's foundation, the nucleus of this team, really start to come together and take off. So... Uh, in my opinion, I kind of like, I just enjoy that. Like, don't don't go into these Sundays expecting the Jets to win. If they win, cool. It's it's an added bonus. But put your eyes on Elijah Moore and watch him. Put your eyes on Quinton Williams. Watch him. Put your eyes on John Franklin Myers, although he's been very quiet and watch him. Look at Ashton Davis picking off a pass and enjoy that. You know, enjoy those things when you're watching a Jets football game. Hammering this team because they faltered in the fourth quarter. Hammering this team because Pinnock, a player that would not start for any other team, had a holding on third down. I mean, just... You got to live with that. The, 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 like Sala said after the game, inexcusable what Franklin Myers did with the pass interference. But some of these other guys, like they wouldn't be playing for any other team and they are starting for the Jets. Starting for the Jets. So you're going to have to take some and, and you're going to have to take the good with the bad. And unfortunately, there's going to be more bad. But now at least you're starting to see the good there with guys like Moore. Yeah, and I think it's what we talked about before the season started was to go into this season, you know, hoping for competitive football and to see little things like the young players flash and that sort of thing, which is what we saw. The problem is we hadn't seen the competitive football, but it was nice to see a game, even though they couldn't get the Dolphins off the field late in the game and, and they didn't get the real chance to tie that game that it felt like they were going to. It was still competitive. It was a football game in the fourth quarter. It's been a while since since that was the case with all the points they're giving up. So that was encouraging. Uh, much and more to is, get to. Oh, go ahead. Well, real, real quick. Send I mean, us I, to I, break, I, Connor. Uh, I won't do that because I haven't done that <laughs> since my Z88 nine days. So like when I say like we got Avicii and Cruella coming out on the other side of this one. But uh, we've got no like what I was going to say quick, Tim, is is just that I, I do understand the flip side of the coin, too, that like you have some fans that have been watching this team their entire life who are like, I don't give a shit about developing young players. I don't want to be pitched the future idea anymore. You know, they've been waiting for the playoffs for over a decade and they haven't even sniffed them. I mean, we've watched the Browns turn it around like the Browns have turned it around. I mean, that's been a hell of a turnaround for that team. You've seen the Texans who the Jets are going to play. I mean, they've had playoff success. You've seen uh, the Lions even make a couple runs when they had Stafford and the Jets are just kind of continually sitting there just sucking. And the fact that a level of success and a level of positivity and a level of excitement is the fact that they played the three and seven dolphins at home and didn't get blown out. I mean, yeah, that is honestly kind of sad. It is, it is the sad state of the jets is that you're playing a team that is bad. The Miami dolphins are a bad football team. And the fact they didn't blow you out in your building is considered a moral victory. But as sad as that is, at this point, it's like, and, and I used to joke with this when I when I work with Daryl Slater, because that guy was the most miserable person, like, all the time. Like, when it came to work, hey, Marissa's laughing, but, like, anyway, Andy, ask That's Andy so Vasquez, mean. ask anyone. Oh, no, it's true. That He'll tell you. it. Like, the guy is just a curmudgeon. Like, he is just a, 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 he's just a sad person a lot, and he's very angry. And he used to, like, when he covered the Jets, 
he would get so in this funk of just like being miserable all the time. Like really, seriously. And and you can ask anyone who knows Daryl and they will say the same thing. That guy is a miserable person when he is at work all the time. Happy with his wife, happy with his beautiful child, but he is a miserable person at work. And we used to get in arguments all the time where I'm like, man, like there's so many worse things you could be doing right now for a job. Just like embrace this and enjoy it. Like just don't focus on the negative. Try to find the positive that we're not sitting here crunching numbers or answering emails. We're covering a football team. Who cares if they suck? We're still covering this football team. No kidding you, Terrence. Like when Kevin Manhan hired me at NJ.com, he called me his ray of sunshine. So yeah, I'm, I'm generally a very positive person. So when it comes to like this Jets team right now, like I just don't, I understand the negative. I see the negative. I understand why fans would be negative. But like, why do you want to go to your source of entertainment and just be miserable at the fact they're not winning? Like, I get it. But at the same time, it's like, just focus on something that can give your heart a little joy. Instead of not what the Jets are, instead of the fact they're probably going to lose like so many more games the rest of the year, just find that little glimmer of positivity and smother that thing till it dies. So if that's Elijah Moore this week, just hold on to it and smother it. If it's Quinn and Williams, smother it. If it's Bryce Hall not giving up a touchdown, smother it. Just enjoy that's some semblance of positivity because that's what I'm going to do the rest of this Jets season because I just can't I can't fall into a Daryl Slater like slump I can't be the guy that just is is negative and upset all the time I got to be a little positive so I wrote a positive column Costello got on my ass because I wrote a positive column I don't care I'm Mr. Positive the rest of the way just because I can't be there's too many negatives in life to be this is all this is all getting like emotional it's like a therapy session I feel like you guys should be laying on couches I like honestly I'm like who is this? And well, where's we're not talking Connor about Baker Mayfield's ineptitude, so that's, Connor, that's probably Connor why. Connor like, got a haircut. I'm not gonna be positive. For our, for our I cut off the negativity, Marissa. Yeah, negativity Connor got a haircut hair before gone. the podcast, and he's a new man now. All of a I sudden, shaved it. Just so. be positive. Like, like I just look. I I trashed wow. the team enough the first two months of the season, right? Like, I mean, I buried them in columns and wrote criticisms on on. Well, I don't think Salah deserves criticism. I don't think the entire coaching staff deserves criticism because I don't know what you're supposed to do with his players. But I criticized Douglas. Criticized the state of the team, ripped this guy, ripped that guy. Now it's like we got seven weeks left in the damn season. I don't have seven more negative columns in me because what am I supposed to write that's negative? The fact the defense stinks, I've already written that. The fact that Zach Wilson doesn't look great, I've already written that. The fact the offense has had struggles, I've already written that. The fact the offensive line isn't as far along as they have, I've already, I've already written all these things. So now let's just write something different and be positive for a little bit. So yeah, we're going to be positive. That's the power of positivity. I have a friend who uh, always would hate his job, right? Every time he'd get a new job a month later. How's your you job? You know Daryl too, then. hate it. Get a new job a year later. How's the new job? I hate it. It took a while. It took like five jobs before I was like, you know what? These jobs aren't bad. You're the problem. I never told him that, though. All right, we got to take a break. We'll be right back. I hope he's not tuning in. <laughs> <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. All right, welcome back. I want to go back to, you mentioned uh, the coaching staff, Connor, and I wanted to go back to Salah on Monday. Um, we talked last week was the Rex Ryan thing with with Salah, and then this week he basically said he understands that the fans are up, are anxious and want a winner, and he gets it, and, and he's embracing it. Um, he also um, said this is a rebuild. We're rebuilding this team, and it's something Jets fans haven't gone through because of all the past structures the past front offices who have just gone for the quick fix i don't think there's going to be a jets reunion of front office and head coaches anytime soon the way that the riffs are forming here but um he kind of i don't want to say he trashed the past things because those those groups you can't they did do it wrong so he's just yeah. saying what was the facts right he's saying it was unsuccessful this team has gone a decade without being relevant um we're doing it right 
Um, but I thought it was interesting that he he actually threw that into it. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing: is that like it, it's it's always been, and I'm just gonna say it: like when Woody Johnson has been in the picture, there has never been the patience to build this thing right. You know, so like obviously when Rex Ryan took over, the Jets still had a pretty good team because Eric Mangini was a legitimate talent evaluator. I mean, he was. His drafts, when you go back and you, you look at him, because I wasn't covering this team then, and or nor was I following the Jets then, but I, I kind of went back and, and looked at some of the players that he drafted and the players he picked. Eric Mangini was ridiculous. I mean, he really was a ridiculous talent evaluator and talent acquirer. And and Rex Ryan basically took his teams and went to back-to-back AFC championship games. And then when he started calling the shots and Tannenbaum started having more of a more of a voice in that room, you saw the talent go down. So the Jets made the change. They go to John Edzik, right? John Edzik got one year was so disastrous in year two with the the Idzik 12 or whatever that was and, and how none of those players really turned out. The Jets went out there and they hired Mike McCagnan, right? So Mike McCagnan comes in. That's generally when you assess the roster. And you're like, all right, let's get some more draft picks. Let's do this. There was the pressure from Woody Johnson to like, no, let's turn this around now. So what does Mike McCagnan do? He goes out there in 2015 and he signs... Uh, Cromartie, Revis, Screen, Gilchrist, Kevin Vickerson, James Carpenter trades for Brandon Marshall. I believe he traded for Chris. I oh, no, that was Idzik who got Chris Ivory traded for some some other running back, Zach Stacy. Coincidentally, he's traded for him. Uh, Zach Stacy he traded for. Like he gets Ryan Fitzpatrick, and and what you see is you see that immediate boom, right? You see the 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 immediate jump in 2015. But then as those players age, you're paying them. So the Jets are paying them for who they were not what they are. And so you get that good burst and it's great and it's a feel-good time until it's not great, until it's not a feel-good time. And you saw the Jets come way back down to earth in 2016. And then they were in cap turmoil in 2016 and 2017 because of the way they did in 2015. And then obviously you go into Mike McCagnan's drafting issues because his draft problems in 2016, 17, 18, and 19 were one of the reasons that as those veterans faded, there were no youngsters to come in and take their spot because, you know, okay, you're moving on from Eric Decker and you're moving on from Brandon Marshall. Well, our Darius Stewart and Chad Hansen, players you drafted in the third round, are awful. They're not even on NFL teams, and you can't turn to them to replace the players that are leaving. So it's a two-prong approach. So, I mean, I think the Jets genuinely are doing this the right way. I think part of it is because uh, Christopher Johnson has bought into this long-term rebuilding approach. He believes this is the right way. I'm fascinated to see how long Woody Johnson's okay with this because it doesn't sit well with him when he turns around and he looks and he sees the crowd is empty or he sees 50% Dolphin Vowns in MetLife Stadium and he sees them as a laughingstock and he sees them joked around on the back page of papers and, and joked around about on talk shows. I mean, that pisses him off. So that's when he generally steps in and says, go get Tim Tebow. Go bring back Darrell Revis. He does those things where he forces the team to do things that aren't necessarily the best team-building mechanics, but because he wants a splash, he wants the quick fix, he wants the Band-Aid. So, in my opinion, this is the right way. It's just about taking it on the chin. But the one thing that I will always go back to with this, and and I, I and Salah's right, the Jets are rebuilding it the right way. They are doing this the right way. They are no longer just these top tier top free agent signings and then you get the flash in the pan and then you die you know they are trying to set this team up for perennial contention perennial success where they're never a bad team they're always a good team sometimes a great team and they are competing and in the conversation year after year for a super bowl title the thing is though is that when you go this route you have to draft the right players draft picks just having draft picks don't mean diddly-poo unless you actually use those draft picks on the right players. So, yeah, the Jets are rebuilding this the right way. Yeah, the Jets are setting this up the right way. Yeah, the Jets are doing what you want to do or what you think they should do. However, if you can have drafts like McCagnan had, he had a lot of picks. McCagnan's favorite saying was build through the draft, build through the draft, build through the draft. He tried to build through the draft. He just never drafted the right players. You look at Joe Douglas's very first draft in 2020, and I know there's people internally that still believe in it. I don't necessarily see it that way. I see Mekhi Becton as an offensive tackle that was injured at Louisville, dealt with a ton of injuries his first year, has now dealt with an injury his second year, and you can't rely on him. You don't know what Mekhi Becton is going into year three. You don't know what Mekhi Becton is right now because you haven't seen it. 
Denzel Mims can't consistently get on the field. Ashton Davis has been very up and down. There's still some potential there, but very up and down. Jabari Zuninga can't get on the field. LaMichael Pirine can't get on the field. James Morgan on another team. Cameron Clark, we don't know if he's going to play again. The Jets seem like they might have gotten a pretty good player in Bryce Hall. He's a very good find in the fifth round as number two. Then Braden Mann obviously is a punter. So if you just have the 2020 draft and you hit Command-C, Command-V three times over the next three years, yeah, the Jets are technically rebuilding in the right way, but it's not going to work unless you pick the right players. So unfortunately, and it's the, the reason why this is met with criticism among Jet fans, is you're asking them to now believe in another process, right? Because they believed in Tannenbaum's process. They believed in... Idzik's process. They believed in Mike McCagnan's process. Now you're believing in Joe Douglas's process. Tannenbaum worked. Idzik did not. McCagnan did not. I mean, the Jets have had one good season since their second AFC championship game. They went to the AFC championship game for the second time. Since then, they have one good season. They didn't even make the playoffs. They lost to the Bills in week 17 in horrifically embarrassing fashion. So how can you just keep like, it's, it's tough to buy in when it's like, you know, if, if, I, if I sit there and I, I flick you, Tim, like 15 times, and then I go like this on 16, you're going to flinch, right? Even if I say I'm not flicking you, I'm not flicking you. As soon as I go like this, you're going to flinch because you've been burned so many other times. It's just like that with the Jets right now. Like, it's just like that with the fan base. So I, I still believe in Joe Douglas. I've, I've been told by enough people that believe in Joe Douglas. But at the same time, you have to take these draft picks and you have to turn these draft picks into something. I do genuinely believe that the Jets have a core offense that is coming together. The Jets genuinely believe that they can turn their defense around in one offseason, but the work isn't done, and a lot of it obviously hinges on the quarterback and if Zach Wilson's good. Absolutely. Well, we got to take another break. I know it was a short segment, but uh, Connor made the first segment really long, you may have noticed. So we'll be back in a minute. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight? Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. All right, let's talk about the draft specifically, what the Jets are headed towards, what they could use those picks on, um, and how this kind of breaks down, Connor. When you look at the picks, obviously they have the extra first-round pick from the Seahawks, which is just getting better and better. The Seahawks having the miserable season that is certainly going to help out the Jets. And then you get the second and fourth rounders from Carolina. The Panthers now five and six. Um, so the Seahawks schedule the West, rest of the way at three and seven. They have the Washington football team on the road. They host the Niners at the Texans, at the Rams, versus the Bears, versus the Lions, at the Cardinals. I don't see them getting more than six wins, probably. And then the the Panthers, you have at the Dolphins, bye week, Falcons, at the Bills. Then they have the Bucks twice and at the Saints as well. Um, they're not going to have a winning record. That's all going to help this Jets team. And then they have a big game with the Texans this weekend where they're, they're ahead on tiebreakers, but both two and eight. So that's a big one. Um, a draft that the Jets had circled with all these picks seems like it's going to be better 
than we even thought going into the season based on the Seattle season and and what's going on with these picks. And the Jets, yeah, I think, terrible season. Yeah, look, the Seattle season's been the one that's that's been most surprising to me. I mean, yeah. this this was a team that, like, Russell Wilson returned two weeks ago. So he had, going into that game against the Packers, then a full week of preparation, and then played the Arizona Cardinals at home. So they played the Arizona Cardinals in Seattle without Kyler Murray, and I'm pretty sure Hopkins didn't play either, and they lost with Colt McCoy under center at home. Actually, if I'm not mistaken, that's the second time Colt McCoy, I think, has beaten Seattle in Seattle, which might be like an incredible anomaly because he beat him with the Giants last year. Wasn't he the Giants backup quarterback when they randomly beat the Seahawks in Seattle? I remember that. So like, I, that's actually, I just thought about that, is that's kind of rare, rare. But if the Seahawks are a team now that is losing to the Colt McCoy-led Cardinals at home with Russell Wilson... Like I don't, I mean that that pick. I'll be honest with you. I thought that was going to be in the twenties. I thought the Seahawks had a chance to be a Super Bowl contender. I thought Russ Wilson could be an MVP candidate. And the fact that they are three and seven. I mean, the only teams with less wins than this, or the only yeah, the only team with less wins than the Seattle Seahawks right now: Houston Texans, Jacksonville Jaguars, the Jets, and the Detroit Lions. That's it. That's who the Seattle Seahawks are in contention with. That makes me laugh so hard when you go back and you read all of the comments that Jamal Adams made after the Jets traded him about how depressed he was with all of the losing in New York and how, you know, it's so much better being in Seattle because all they do is win all the time and how the Seahawks play music in the locker rooms and the Jets didn't do that. So, oh my God, they're so different. And now Jamal Adams, who, by the way, if you just do a Twitter search for his name, the Seattle Seahawks fans want that guy shipped back to New York and they'll give the Jets another draft pick to take him. Like, he doesn't get sacks anymore. I, I I found it absolutely hysterical that Jamal Adams intercepted Aaron Rodgers in a game the Seattle Seahawks lost. He took a picture of that interception in a game the Seahawks lost and tweeted it with, like, a caption that said, like, meme that shit or something like that. He had an interception and a loss, and the guy's like, look at me, look at me, look at me. Obviously, he was uh ratioed out the you know where for that one but that, I mean that's just the type of player he is like that's that's the type of player he was all the time I remember he picked off he had a pick six against the Patriots when the Jets lost to New England and we talk about it we asked the you know we asked him about the uh the interception in the locker room after the game and Jamal's like I'm not even thinking about that man I haven't thought about that it doesn't matter we lost the game doesn't matter doesn't matter Two hours later, he Instagrams a picture of the pick six, like, got my first or something like that. I mean, the guy's a phony. Like, he's he was a phony in New York. He's a phony in Seattle. And the fact that he's now a part of this losing effort is beyond comical to me. Like, beyond com- I mean, the Seattle Seahawks are a disaster. Like, they're a disaster. They've got all their pieces back now. They got DK Metcalf. They got all the draft picks they traded for players to bring in to be in contention. And they lose at home in Seattle to the Arizona Cardinals without Kyler Murray. Like so, you look at their schedule the rest of the way. Yeah, theoretically they should finish the year four and three, three and four. When you can't beat Colt McCoy at home, you can't assume they're going to beat anyone. Like you really can't. So the fact that the Jets have that selection, plus their own selection, which if they lose to the Houston Texans, is probably going to be a top three pick again. So that's going to be great. So I mean, there's a chance this team picks three and five. They could be picking two and five. If the Lions find a way to start winning some games, they could be picking one and five. They could be picking one and six, one and seven, all the way to one and ten if the Seattle Seahawks do start winning games. But honestly, the one that I constantly keep looking at and circling a little bit, like, huh, is the Panthers. And I know everyone went like crazy, right? Like everyone in there. Right now, the Panthers are five and six. They're, they're slated to pick twelfth in the first round, which means they'll pick twelfth in the second round as well. Every that remember that there are there are five and six football team the Panthers are because that second round pick is no joke. Like the Jets could pick. No, like I'm serious about that. The Jets could pick theoretically, say safely, they pick three and seven in the first round of the draft. They could have the three and like seven or eight pick in the second round of the draft too. I mean, those are four selections, four huge selections to potentially four, completely four in the reshift 40, this team. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Then you work. Yeah, ex- exactly. Like that's a huge pick. And with the Panthers, this was a team that started three and zero. Oh. They are now five and six. 3-0 and and 5-6, and six. and I know everyone was going nuts over, like, Cam Newton returning to Carolina, right? Because he had the two touchdowns last week. He, he scored a rushing touchdown, then ran to midfield, spiked the ball, and threw his hands up in the air. Cam Newton's not a good quarterback anymore. Like, we saw that in New England. Like, the New England Patriots all last year, like, Cam's not that good anymore. 
He's going to make some plays. He's going to run some people over. He's a he's a force to tackle inside the five yard line. But he's not a great quarterback. Like Tyler Heineke just beat Carolina in Cam Newton's return game at home with Christian McCaffrey and DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson and all those players and on the defense and all that stuff. They lost. Cam Newton's not that good anymore, period. He's just not. He's not that good of a quarterback anymore. He's old. He's old. He was never a pristine passer to begin with. He was always somebody who was just so physically imposing that he was a, a you-know-what to try to try to deal with. Now he's lost some of that physicality and his arm. He's going to have to rely on his arm, and he's never been a quarterback that's been that great of a passer. He's not that good. The Panthers are going to keep losing. So the the this draft selection, I mean, we're talking, we talked about on the other side, on the, the uh, other side of the break, was that we the Jets need to draft players. Like, it doesn't matter at all if the Jets are have all these draft picks and don't do anything. But the fact that they have this number of selections and these number of selections that keep improving, the Panthers pick keeps getting better, the Seahawks pick keeps getting better, their own pick keeps getting better. I mean, you're talking about an infusion of young draft talent where you could have four, say the, the first two picks of the first round and the Jets' two second round picks, four players drafted there that are day one, week one starters for New York and impact players, week one starters for New York next year. So you got 22 starters, right? Four of them are going to be new. That's before you even get to free agency. And I think the Jets are going to be very active in free agency because I think Joe Douglas is going to feel some heat under his ass and he's going to want to spend a little bit. So it wouldn't surprise me to see the Jets go out there and get Devontae Adams or something like that. Like, I think they're going to spend. You could have a completely new looking team. Genuinely believe that. And it's going to be, it's going to be, Interesting to watch and certainly interesting to monitor where, again, power positivity, right? We cut off the negativity in my hair where we're going power positivity. You don't want to after you watch Elijah Moore and if Mike Carter gets back and you watch Elijah Vera Tucker and some of the players on defense, if there are any that you can find, you watch those players and you're like, all right, I feel pretty good. Yeah, sure. The Jets lost by by 14 or 20 or something like that. But I, I like these young players. We, we see these young players. They look good, right? Immediately turn on red zone, bring up ESPN stat tracker, NFL Jesus, and, and turn around and look and see what's the score of that Seahawks game? What's the score of that Panthers game? Because as those teams keep losing, those Jets draft picks just keep getting better and better. The good thing from a Jets fan standpoint this time around, too, is because last year there was it was almost like there was extra pressure, right? To get the number one pick because of Trevor Lawrence. And yeah. so every it made this weird dynamic where the Jets fans were kind of rooting against the Jets to get Trevor Lawrence. They end up having those close games late, the Raiders game, the Rams game, and it was just weird. Now you have the quarter, or you certainly hope you have the quarterback. If you don't have the quarterback, then this whole thing is for naught. Oh, it doesn't matter. Zach yeah, Wilson if they don't have the quarterback. Correct. Right. If the Jets don't so, have the quarterback, Joe's gone, Salah's gone, yeah. Every right. Time. So it doesn't matter really if the Jets end up with the first pick, second pick, third pick. They're going to be in that mix, and, and it's fine because you're going to get a great talent, and you don't need the quarterback. And I think that's going to make these next seven weeks a little more able to enjoy it for Jets fans because you can just root for the team. If you win a game, it's fine. You move a couple spots back, it's fine. You're going to have a bunch of picks in the first two rounds, and it's going to be good. So if they have four picks in the top 45, though, Connor, yeah. um, what's the ratio for offense versus defense? Do they keep, Is it three more offensive players, or do you think this is the year you have to turn to the other side of the football and they maybe get three defensive players out of those four? No, the, I, see, well, it's the number one priority this offseason, and this is the case. The, Sala knows this. Douglas knows this. Everyone, everyone over at, at One Jets Drive knows this. The number one goal for this offseason is to rebuild the defense. What the Jets want to do is they want to get their defense to a point where it is they play football that makes it a one-possession game, that their defense is good enough where they make Sundays one-possession football games, and then it's on the offense to make up that one possession. So just keep it within one possession, keep it within one possession going into the fourth quarter, and then in the fourth quarter, the offense can take over and, and change games. That's their goal. The offense still is not perfect. The offense has pieces, right? Like, you talk about the offensive line. We'll look at there. The Jets do believe Mekhi Becton. They don't know if he's all pro. They don't know if he's all world. But they believe they have a, a legitimate starting left tackle, Mekhi Becton, if he can stay healthy. You got a left tackle. You got a left guard. Or right guard, I'm sorry. And, or left tackle, left guard, and, and Elijah Vera Tucker. You still... George Fant can come back next year. He's actually looked pretty good this season. Like, you, you can't criticize George Fant. He's had, a, he's had a significant bounce back year for the Jets. If you want Fan on the right side and have that Fant-Moses rotation for a second year, that's fine. You can have that right tackle. You do need to rework the center and right guard positions. Like, that's something that needs to happen. Connor McGovern, I don't think, is going to be back. I don't think he's that good. Maybe they bring him back just because he's under contract. But you can definitely improve center. You have to improve right guard. Like, you need to improve right guard. 
you can find that right guard with the 36th pick in the second round, which the Jets currently hold, or the 43rd pick in the second round, which the Jets currently hold. Finding guards or center guard combos in the second round is pretty common, and it's pretty common for those second round guards to start from week one. Like, yeah, you're not going to get maybe like a Rayshon Slater or you're not going to get like an Elijah Vera Tucker, a player with like the Zach Martin, Quentin Nelson type potential. But you can find those players. You can still find 10-year starters, really, really good guards in the second round. I think that's where the Jets are going to have to go on offense. They also desperately need to find a tight end, right? Desperately need a tight end. The Jets went hard after Janu Smith in free agency. He chose to sign with the Patriots. They obviously then went, okay, we'll re- we'll run it back with Chris Herndon and Ryan Griffin, and we'll bring in Tyler Croft and things like that. Herndon's now gone doing diddly-poo in Minnesota. Ryan Griffin, Tyler Croft's always hurt. Ryan Griffin obviously is not somebody you can be relied. He's a fine number two. He's not a starting tight end, so the Jets need to find a tight end. I think they'll probably turn towards free agency for that. But again, third round, second round with one of those two second round picks, they can, they can, they're gonna that you can fix that tight end spot. I still think that the Jets are gonna go out there and try to find a true number one receiver. If Devontae Adams is there and he doesn't go wherever Aaron Rodgers chooses to go and join forces there, I could hundred percent see the Jets and and Joe Douglas just throwing an absurd amount of money at Devontae Adams. So they have a three wide receiver tier that can rival some of the best in the league with Devontae Adams, Corey Davis, and then Elijah Moore. Those are your top three receivers. hundred percent could see that happen. So the offense, while they have a nice core nucleus of players, you still can't just ignore them this offseason. You need to continue to to throw talent in there. You need to throw talent in there. With that said, this offseason, the Jets know, is entirely devoted to fixing the defense. And they believe that they can completely fix their defense, that they can get their defense to a group that keeps these games to one possession in the fourth quarter relatively easily with just one offseason. And I think, look, if if the Jets are in a position, I know they need cornerback help. That's obviously a top of the list. If the Jets are in position to draft Thibodeau, this this uh, defensive end from Oregon, they're going to do it. Like they, they are they are going to draft they they're going to draft that kid no matter what. If he is there, they will draft him because that's a guy that's Nick Bosa level, Joey Bosa level, um Chase Young level. Like to get him and put him on their defensive line Robert Sala might straight up quit if the Jets don't go and get him that defense. This is a guy who loves defensive linemen. And if he's out there and available, there is there's no way that they're not going to get him. Then they'll turn to the rest of the defense. And we actually have a story that, that just dropped on The Athletic on how the Jets can rebuild their defense and how they can do it in one offseason. And look, the defensive line is largely okay. They've got decisions to make. Do they want to bring Foley Fatukasi back? Do they want to train it back to Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Marshall, give him that nose tackle job? They've got some decisions they have to make there, you know, but they're not going to ignore the defensive line. But the defensive line, for the most part, is pretty good. They have to figure out what they're going to do at middle linebacker. Do they want C.J. Mosley back or they don't need C.J. Mosley back? If they want C.J. Mosley back, that's fine. You can probably then have Jamie and Sherwood and maybe another veteran compete for that job at middle linebacker. You can't totally rely on Sherwood, obviously, because he's coming off a ruptured Achilles tendon, but you can do something there. The other outside linebacker spot plays like 10 snaps a game. You can pretty much put whoever you want. The Jets have Delshawn Phillips. They also have Hamza, who they believe in. The big reworking that can take this Jets defense and turn it around is the secondary. We've talked about this, and, and it's the, mainly the safety position and the corner position. When this season began and the Jets were still a healthy team, they believed that their two safeties and LaMarcus Joyner and Marcus May combined with their defensive line of Carl Lawson and all those guys up front could be good enough that they could survive their current corner situation. Carl Lawson goes down. Bryce Huff goes down. Joyner's out for the season. May's out for the season. Suddenly the Jets are starting Riley and Ashton Davis and, and Ronnie Blair's playing meaningful reps and Jabari Zaninga's working in there that they now don't have the sec- the safety help. They don't have an elite level pass rush. And now they also have issues at cornerback. They need to figure out what they want to do with safety. Do they want to bring Joyner and May back? Do they want to start from scratch? I think what they do there will be predicated on what they do at corner. We said this. The Jets genuinely believe in Brandon Eccles, Mike Carter, and Bryce Hall. They like all three of those guys. However, all three of those guys are number two corners. They're not number ones. They're not ball hawks. The Jets need this offseason desperately to go out there and find a corner that is a number one corner, ball hawking corner, someone who's going to get them interceptions. J.C. Jackson, potentially a free agent from New England. Stephon Gilmore, potentially a free agent from Carolina. Stingley from LSU could be a top five pick if Thibodeau's not there, even if the Jets choose to go defensive end and then corner at two and six or wherever those two picks fall out. I think the defense, you get a legitimate number one corner. You get some solid safety help. You add a little bit more to the pass rush. I think that defense, within an infusion of depth in the third, fourth, and fifth rounds, you can get them back to, to some semblance of competence and some decent playing some decent football, and, and we'll see where they go from there. But 
I don't see this as an offseason that's going to be all defense. I think it's going to be a priority defense, but they're still going to work on on the offense as well because, you know, look, the 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 Jets the Jets are a two-win team for a reason, you know, and they want to rebuild their defense. That's the goal for this defense, but it's not like they're going to use all their draft picks on that. If the right offensive player is there, I think they'll do it. But in my opinion, just off the quickly looking at it, I would say first pick is probably either going to be Thibodeau or a corner. I think that second first round pick could be an offensive lineman or another pass rusher or corner. And then second round on, I think it's going to be best player available where it could be tight end. It could be a linebacker. It could be another defensive tackle. It could be safety. It could be anything like that. All right. It's going to be interesting. We'll talk about it plenty between now and the draft. That's going to do it for this edition of the Can't Wait Podcast. Again, best deal of the year, $1 a month for a year. Go to theathletic.com slash can't wait. It's the Black Friday, Cyber Monday deal. It's the best deal you'll get all year long here at The Athletic for new subscribers. Uh, we'll be back again tomorrow, actually, with the news of the quarterback starter comes out. We'll have it. Uh, we'll be back with you either in the afternoon or the evening, hopefully the afternoon. Talk to you again then. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.